From Welcome Villain Films, the studio that brought you the horror hit Malum, as well as Beaten to Death and Hunter Killer, comes their newest nightmare, Mind, Body, Spirit, now available on digital. Directed by Alex Haynes and Matthew Miranda, and produced by Dan Asma, Mind, Body, Spirit follows Anya, an aspiring yoga influencer, as she embarks on a ritual practice left behind by her estranged grandmother. What starts as a spiritual self-help guide quickly evolves into something much more sinister. As Anya becomes increasingly obsessed with the mysterious power of the practice, she unwittingly unleashes an otherworldly entity that begins to take control of her life and her videos. Now, Anya must race to unlock the truth before her descent into madness threatens to consume her mind, body, and spirit. During its festival tour, which stops at Chattanooga Film Festival and the Unnamed Footage Festival, Mind, Body, Spirit garnered praise from critics who call it a found footage version of Hereditary and a knockout found footage horror movie for the live stream era. Experience the first ever yoga-themed found footage horror film and don't miss the film viewers have called extremely frightening and upsetting. Available now on digital anywhere you rent or buy movies online, including Prime Video and Apple Plus. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. What is The Briefing Room? It's a behind-the-scenes look at how the criminal justice system works and the lives of the people within that system. If you love true crime, well, these are the real people who do the job every day of making sure justice is served. Hi, I'm Detective Dave. I'm Detective Dan. Together, we have decades of experience in local law enforcement, a profession that we think is often misunderstood. So we're going to explore how to do it right, and we won't shy away from when it's done wrong. These are stories you'll hear nowhere else. Unique, frank, and unvarnished. From the team that brought you Small Town Dicks, this is The Briefing Room. Episode 1 drops on August 30th. We'll meet you in The Briefing Room. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com And welcome back to Scarred for Life, the podcast where we open up old wounds by looking back at the films that scared us as kids. I'm Terry. And I'm Mary Beth. Each episode, our special guest will bring with them a movie that traumatized them as a child. This week, our guest is Chase Thurman. He's one half of the Horror Queers podcast, and you can find his written work at Bloody Disgusting and Consequence of Sound. We also hear he's a pretty decent cook. Welcome to the show, Chase. Hi, yeah. everyone. Hello. <laughs> I was I was digging into like your your bloody disgusting thing, and your little profile says that you're a decent cook. Is that true? It. I I think so. I, so I worked in the events <laughs> industry, like the wedding industry in Austin, for about five years, and it made me hate everybody. And <laughs> I was stressed out all the time and cooking, like because my co-host Joe, he finds cook to be like work, whereas for me, cooking is my de-stressor. Like some, there's something about Same. chopping. Yeah, like, I, I prop my laptop up on my dish rack and I watch shows and then I chop vegetables, and it's so soothing to me. <laughs> Yeah, I did that today. I made chicken parm. It was delicious. And I listened to a podcast and just zoned out and cooked dinner. And it was awesome. Yeah. It's the best. It's definitely my go away place for sure. I agree. I love I love cooking. So Joe's the uh, the odd man out. 
But um, speaking with about Joe, how did you guys uh, get together and, and decide to start writing your column, which eventually turned into the podcast? Yeah, so um, it's, I'm glad that I listened to Joe's episode today. Um, and oh, there goes my dog just whining already. Um, <laughs> um, no, so I, so I could have this story recap for me. But no, I've been writing for Bloody for since the end of like 2014, roughly. Wow. Oh, wow, cool. Yeah. Granted, my output has decreased significantly like in the past two years because the podcast is kind of giving me the creative outlet that I need. And it's, yeah, I, it's so weird. Like writing for bloody. I, I was writing like a day, like one article a day, like for a Holy year. Holy shit. Wow. And, and I mean, granted some of them were editorial. Some of them were listicle. Some of them were just random things. And it was super, super fun. And after a while I found that like all the things that I really wanted to write about, I kind of already written about. So mm. I, I, I hit a wall creatively where I was like, I don't, it just feels like work now. Like, I'm not having fun. I, I, I mean, it's cool. I'm getting paid for it. But I, I was struggling to find the motivation to write. And so Joe had approached me the end of 2017 to say, hey, like, let's, um, you know, we're both gay. Let's do an article series that is like, I mean, basically like a podcast in written form where it's like, oh, like, we'll watch a movie. I'll write like 700 words. He'll reply with 700 words. I mean, Terry, it's like what you do with him with the, right. with the TV reviews. So that's probably Joe's shtick by this point. But <laughs> it's, I mean, obviously he writes other things. He's going to kill me when he hears this. But <laughs> I, I was like, yeah, sure. That sounds really fun. And so we did that for a year. So we started those in like in January of 2018 and we were doing, we started with one a month and then we started doing two a month where it was like, okay, we're going to do one queer film or horror film with queer elements or a queer following. And then we also were going to do an off brand film where it was like, oh, just something we want to talk about. And it's just like, like we did Anaconda one year, uh, one month we did, oh, I know yeah. we did last summer one month, and but like we just brought a queer perspective to it without necessarily like commenting on queer aspects of the film per se mm -hmm. and so he, he always wanted to do a podcast and i was like i don't know dude a i don't know how to do that it's a lot of work i think i gotta buy a microphone or something so <laughs> i finally like october of 2018 he he basically like helped me see what i would need to do he pitched the idea to our editors brad miska and john squires and they were like yeah sure like we'll totally support you and like you know we can use this as a platform and that's kind of how it started. And so we released our first episodes in January of 2019. And now we're about 72, 73 episodes in. <laughs> it's amazing. I know that's crazy. It's it's crazy how fast they start to build up the episodes. It's, you know, it, it is. Um, we already have, we struggled because we have our 100th episode coming up in, coming up in November as if that's like really close. But um, oh, look, at this point, time means nothing. And November feels does. like it's tomorrow. So who knows? <laughs> right. And I was like, Joe, we have to do something big for our 100th episode. Like we have to do something that's like awesome and like super gay, but like everyone knows what it is. And it honestly, we just figured it out like two weeks ago. And so Ooh. I'm like, that's okay. awesome. No, it's going to be super fun. I'm and excited. The week to week schedule. And we also do a Patreon, so it's like, which thank you, Terry, by the way, for all the money you've given us. <laughs> but like, <laughs> so we're recording. I mean, a month, depending on how many Wednesdays there are in each month, four to five episodes for our main feed, which run from ninety minutes to two hours, plus two more full length episodes for the Patreon, which run from like an hour to an hour and twenty minutes, plus two minisodes, plus a newsletter, and so it. And I you're like your commentary right aren't you guys doing that oh, now? right yeah we have a commentary now too that we do each month and so 
It's super fun. Yeah, wait, do you have a job? Like, is this your job? Well, no, so, so that, <laughs> that's, that's a, the thing. a full-time job, like, on I, top I, of that. <laughs> I have a day, I have a nine-to-five day job, and granted, now I'm working from home, which that's that's really made, like, made me struggle with not just my day job, but also the podcast, which, granted, don't get me wrong, I love the podcast, but now that I don't have a separation of, like, day job space and home Girl, life space. Oh, God, yeah. yeah. And so it's like I'm just working constantly now, and I, I, I'm getting a little burned out, which is why, like, whenever we do, like, we have a couple movies coming up this month, on, uh, and I'm like, okay, these are movies that I'm really passionate about, so it's easier for me to, like, get the motivation back, but... yeah. It's, it, yeah, it, it, it's a struggle, especially again, you know, I mean, like, Joe and I edit all of our own stuff. So, I mean, I, I'd say we sp- do, uh, spend about probably 40 to 60 hours a m- month when you count in all the recording, the editing, the watching, the researching, the promoting, like, on top of my day job. So, needless to say, I don't write for Bloody that much anymore outside of my festival coverage for, like, Fantastic Fest or South By. Yeah. Wow. I, kinda, I guess that makes I, sense. <laughs> I guess that <laughs> makes yeah. sense. It does. And I, I feel you on the burnout because I'm, I'm also working from home and, you know, my, my computer is now my like work computer as well as my creative outlet. So it's like finding that distance between the two is a struggle. That is, well, that is for sure. You're, you're not just freelancing. You have your own site that you're <laughs> maintaining. Yeah, too. exactly. Yeah. Like, I mean, I, I don't know how you do it, to be honest, Terry. Like, I mean, again, much respect. I have a lot of like, you know, respect for you for that. I could not do it. I could not do it. Uh, I can, I can barely meet my freelance deadlines at this point. <laughs> <laughs> it's been a struggle recently, but um, this yeah. isn't about me. Um, how did you get into <laughs> into writing, Trace? How did I get into writing? Um, yeah. So, okay, I, I, okay, I love talking about myself, but I sometimes feel like it's like, I'm because Joe likes to tell me I'm narcissistic. And so I'm like, and my husband does too. But and so I, I try to like be cognizant when I'm talking about myself and not seem like a narcissistic asshole, but whatever. So, We're interviewing you. I feel like this is the time to be a narcissistic asshole, shy. though, because I feel like this is the venue. Like, we're, at, we're talking to you. You are a star. So, like, I'll, I'll accept that. Um, yeah, I am. Um, so, I, I went to college here in Austin and I got degrees in film and public relations. And Ooh. with film here, you can go one of two routes you can go film production or film studies. And I don't really have much like create like a creative bone in my body. Like I'm very type A, follow the rules. When I'm cooking, I follow the recipe. Like my husband's like, oh, why don't you add this? And I'm like, well, the recipe doesn't say that. So no, I'm not going to do that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so I went the studies route because I'm, I'm better with creativity with interpretations as opposed mm-hmm. to like, you know, making a film, which to me I'm envisioning as like a machine. I got out of college. I, I, I was trying to do work in PR and I kind of quickly realized that I didn't really enjoy it. Being on the other side of the PR spectrum now where I'm getting the press releases, I'm like, oh, man. <laughs> I would yeah. not want to be in PR right now. <laughs> no, no, absolutely not. No, no, no. Shout out to all of our PR agents who we love. We're so sorry. Oh, no. I love them to death. <laughs> but it's I'm just, just like, well, because PR is basically like cold calling, but for like, you know, whatever you're selling, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I hate that. And I, I fell into the wedding industry in Austin because I was working at restaurants waiting industry in Austin because I was working at restaurants waiting tables. And I was like, okay, I have two something. I, I can't keep making two thirteen an hour plus tips. Like this is ridiculous. So yeah, I fell into the events industry and then I kind of fell myself into a, a another rut. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to start a blog. 
And I started my own blog. I didn't know anything about it. I just like, researched stuff. I like discovered what WordPress was. Like I grew up in the era where people were using Zenga and stuff, but I didn't really do that or like live journal or whatever the fuck oh yeah live journal yeah and i mean i had myspace i had facebook so i didn't really go into the online journaling i like immediately started with like online profiles and i so i made this this blog and i was like you know what i'm not gonna have like i called it wine and watch and it was basically like because again (laughs) really into wine (laughs) i i was like you know what i'm gonna just drink wine and write things. And so I just wrote about movies and TV and stuff. And I did like, I think one of my original concepts for my blog was going to be like, just constantly defending shitty movies or like movies that were perceived to be bad that I really enjoyed. And so I did a column of like, like in defense of which, I mean, at the time I thought it was the first of its kind. Obviously I'm sure that's not the case, but (laughs) I saw another, another writer on bloody posted an article in 2014 uh, of defending scream Four. I was like, A, doesn't need to be defended. B, oh my God, <laughs> I do that. So I, I sent to like their pitch email general thing. I was like, hey, like I saw you did this like in, in defense thing. Here's one I did of Drive Me to Hell, which doesn't need to be defended, but I was coming <laughs> off of... I, the, the thing with Drive Me to Hell was I was working at Blockbuster in college and I would recommend that movie to so many people and they would return mm. it to me and say, that was the stupidest thing I've ever seen. Like, why would you tell me to watch that? But... And I was like, well, it's because you don't understand the, like Sam Raimi and horror comedy and blah, blah, blah. You know, you're thinking it's not like you're thinking it's not trying to be funny, but it is trying to be funny. And that frustration is kind of what motivated me to start writing. And cool. Brad Miska edited, um, answered my email and was like, oh, yeah, sure. Like, this is a really cool piece for sure. Write for us. And I was writing for them for like six months for free and, you know, kind of learning the gig of what it meant to be like writing. I mean, I've been reading Bloody Disgusting since... T- 2004, I think. Yeah. The, I think I found them when I was searching for reviews for Resident Evil Apocalypse. Um, and <laughs> 15 year old Trace. Hell and, yeah. And I mean, it just kind of happened from there. You know, they, they, they yeah. gave me kind of carte blanche to write whatever I wanted. Obviously, if it was something I was getting paid for, there was a bit more structure around it or like, you know, pitching involved. But if I wanted to write about something and they were like, nah, but I would just write it anyway for free because I was like, well, I want to write about this because I like writing about it and I want this platform of bloody and I want people to like, you know, see this work. And that's it. <laughs> wow. Sweet. And going back even further, uh, how did you get into horror? Oh, right. I was listening to um, your episode with uh, Greg Mushi today and I was like, I, I oh. got to prepare for this. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I... I I always remember being into scary things. Um, mm-hmm. I grew up, I wasn't allowed to watch R-rated movies. Um, my dad was really into horror. My mom was not. Uh, so he would, like, find... I remember going to Blockbuster and, like, you know, looking for all the PG and PG-13 horror movies, but also having the visuals of a lot of the R-rated ones stick in my mind. Oh, uh, yeah. Right? Like, I remember the case yes. for the, the dentist, or the dentist 2, with, like, the, the, the blades and the teeth, like that. Oh, yeah, that, yes. that image. That like I I remember that, like that was like my life going to Blockbuster and trying to find like the creepiest cover to freak myself out and like and they were all like those kinds of I, I see them now on Shutter and I recognize them and I'm like this is hilarious that I thought this was scary when I was younger and now it's like a B like culty movie no for it's, sure it's hilarious and I, I recently discovered Tubi and like Tubi has a lot oh, of those like low tier yes. like schlocky movies from the late late 90s and early 2000s and I was like oh my god like I I remember seeing this in Blockbuster but I never saw it and like I mean so now I can finally watch The Dentist 1 and 2 I don't know it's gonna happen one day <laughs> Corbin Bernson, here's some money. 
but uh so i remember doing that and like i was always frustrated because i was i was always told like you cannot watch those movies you cannot do that and what do humans do when they're told they can't do something oh yeah they yeah they, they want to do it so uh, my fixation of my youth was like I'm going to watch these R-rated movies. I'm going to watch these scary movies. And I didn't even know at the time if I liked them or not. But so like people like they'll always ask you like, oh, what's the first scary movie you ever saw? And I, I honestly don't remember. Like one of the first times I remember being like freaked out by something was when I saw Hocus Pocus and um, the, the zombie Billy like gets his head cut off by a by a tree. Oh, yeah. And like, you know, you're seeing that on, Disney Ch- on the Disney Channel as a kid and it's kind of freaky, but... I mean, honestly, I think that my gateway horror was Scooby-Doo. Like, I watched so much Scooby-Doo, it is insane. I, I know that about you. I know that you love... <laughs> and you know what? The funny thing is that you're one of your favorites, uh, what, Zombie Island? Something mm-hmm. about Zombie Island? I've never seen. Um, I was an old school uh, Scooby-Doo fan. <gasps> Zombie like, back Island in the... is so good. It's good. I, I'm super... Because I think by the time this episode drops, Scoob will have been released on VOD, and I'm super oh, excited right. about that. No, like, I, and I'm making Joe do an episode on Zombie Island, which, spoiler alert, he wasn't crazy about, but oh. I love, and it's free on Netflix, so go watch it. Oh, is it really? <laughs> it's yeah, it's, it's super free. So fucking good. It, it's, it, one of my fa- it's like one of my favorite kids' movies, no, or like I mean, animated movies. It's just so fucking good. I was nine when it came out, and like, I, I remember like, it, it came out on VHS, but my blockbuster didn't carry it, but then they were going to show it on Halloween of 98, and like, my mom, I didn't want to go trick-or-treating for the first time in my life, and my mom like, made me go, but she recorded it for me, and I was like, miserable trick-or-treating that Halloween, and then I came home and I watched Zombie Island, but the one Scooby-Doo property that A, is like, genuinely like, a scary movie, the monsters had been real before, but they were like real, real in this movie, and the tone yeah. of it's very okay. dark. Yeah. And you know, Terry, whenever you listen to the episode, I go into a very deep dive about the importance of that film and how it kind of revitalized the Scooby brand, which went through a dead period in the '90s, much it like did. the horror genre itself. That, that's true. That is true. Yeah, I'm, I'll have to I'll have to watch it maybe this weekend before your episode drops. I mean, no pressure, but I, 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 and not even to plug me, but like it's it's a really, really, really good movie. <laughs> yes. <laughs> It's very good. I, I mean, I'll, I'll see. Like, I, I found my taste like running with Joe an awful lot. So I don't know. We'll 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 see. I, I think it's a generational gap, though, because yeah. I mean, I think you and Joe are around the same age, and so you know, we all have those things from our childhood that are untouchable. You know, and like, oh yeah, I mean, I'll watch some Scooby Doo properties now, and I'm like, okay, like I can see the flaws in that and how it's kind of dumb. But my childhood brain is like, no, it's perfect, and. <laughs> For Joe, that was like Gargoyles and um, Batman the Animated Series and X-Men and Spider-Man cartoons, which that was like just before me. So it's just generational. Absolutely. So, Terry, do we want to talk about what we've been watching recently? Uh, I'm very excited to talk about what we've been watching recently. Oh, I'm excited to hear now. (laughs) (laughs) So the first one is a movie that I picked up because... Uh, so I'm, I'm going through again my my stack of movies that I've collected, and of course I keep adding to this, which kind of makes it so that I'll never end up running out of movies that I need to go back on and watch. But uh, this one I, <laughs> I just picked up from from Arrow, and I wanted like immediately like I, I got to see this movie. I'm we're talking Meg Foster, who those of you don't 
who might not know, she was in the He-Man movie, Masters of the Universe. She that's was your go-to. I love, I love it like that's your go-to for <laughs> Meg Foster's credits. Uh, that, <laughs> that was like my movie growing up as a kid. Um, yeah. I love that movie. And of course, you know, she was in They Live, Lords of Salem, 31. Like she's been she's been in a lot. So she's in this. And we're also talking a score by Hans Zimmer. Oh. oh. His sixth score that he ever did, we're talking a hurricane, which isn't really a hurricane. We're talking a mansion in Greece and a novelist that is stalked by a psychopath on a stormy night and she can't leave because there's a hurricane outside. It's The Wind from 1986. And it is Wings Hauser in it, who, when I was what watching this name. movie... I know, right? When I was watching this movie, like he comes on screen and I was like, Oh my God, is that Elric Kane? Cause he looks like Elric Kane should be related to him, which is a compliment. He, the wings looked really, really kind of hot in this movie in a okay. kind of like, you want to talk though, like VHS covers? Like the, I, I look at the poster for this movie and it is gorgeous. It's so good. It is. Yeah. It's a gorgeous It's a great poster. cover. Um, it, the, the problem is, is that the hurricane isn't really a hurricane. Like it keeps saying it's a hurricane, but it, it's just really strong wind um but she is like Same she's thing. a novelist right she's a novelist who's gone to this this mansion or villa an isolated villa in greece to write she's a mystery writer and the guy that that owns the place that she's renting it from he ends up getting killed by their handyman because he's gonna fire the handyman the handyman's like no that's not gonna happen i'm going to kill you and um she sees the handyman burying the body and then he sees her seeing him and he starts stalking her with a sickle. Um, oh so boy. it's, it kind a of sickle too. Like, that, I know. I love it when they get creative with their weaponry in these old slasher movies. <laughs> I just wish they'd get more creative with the kills because the kills are terrible. Mm. Um, they're not good. And I, I mean, it's, it, it's, it's fine. It was a, it, it kind of mixes like the, the guy that directed it is Nico Masterakis. I think he's, um, greek but it feels sort of like an italian film Mm, um like an italian film of those that time period like the the score by again Hans zimmer it has like a goblin-esque like giallo feel to it and like even though they're all i think most of the the people are either british or american actors it just it has that kind of feel of like an italian movie mixed with like an 80s slasher except not a very good one um but it's it's entertaining and i i love movies where people are trapped because of storms or weather or ice or i you know those isolated type movies are are my jam mostly the plot reminds me like i mean just like with a woman trapped in her house like you know of um like mike flanagan's hush or yeah the hurricane aspect is like this movie called burning bright where oh yeah i love burning bright people trapped in their house in a hurricane with a tiger so <laughs> right <laughs> Except it just it, yeah, yeah exactly it, it sounds a lot cooler than it um ended up being but um it was it was fun it's relatively i mean it you know it's like i think 90 minutes with credits so it doesn't overstay its welcome but it's just it was it was what it was it was fine <laughs> okay. But um, I'm getting through my my stack and I'm, <laughs> I'm adding more to it. But the other one I want to talk about, which I know Mary Breath has also seen that I just got from Vinegar Syndrome is uh, the McPherson tape. Yup. Huh. Have you heard of this one, Trace? It sounds so familiar, but I think I think I'm confusing it with the Poughkeepsie tape. So oh. do, <laughs> do tell, please. So I don't even <laughs> I don't even know where to start. It's it's filmed on VHS, 
it was released not really released in 1989 but it ended up getting circulated through um ufo channels and people started thinking that it was a real documentation of it's the fir- it's considered the first found footage film although i don't i don't know why cannibal holocaust isn't considered it exactly that but i'm uh okay so i won't go i won't go there sorry <laughs> <laughs> but i, mean, I will it, not have this conversation right now <laughs> <laughs> but it, it 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 is like a prototypical uh, prototype of like the found footage film where literally after it came out it was found by ufo enthusiasts who thought it was real and there was even a video that that went around like encounters which was like a an unsolved mysteries type show about about like aliens and stuff that i remember seeing in the early 90s about this movie where they were talking about the the reception to it and even then when it was when it came out that the director you know this guy had directed had filmed this on his you know camcorder back in the 80s still ufo enthusiasts thought he was lying and was a show for the government trying to cover up what really happened but it is about this family celebrating a fifth birthday uh niece's fifth birthday party and then strange things start happening and they find a, a ufo's crash in the backyard and i i mean i think the story behind it is more interesting than the movie but Boo. i'm not yeah i'm not a found footage fan but uh, mary beth what did you think of this i okay i really enjoyed it i think i like like you okay i said boo but i shouldn't have booed the mythos behind it is super compelling and which makes it really cool it's like it's like it's like the poughkeepsie tapes or oh, i can't think of the other one but like films that people think are real but aren't actually real Blair which maybe even that yeah that's true yeah. and like the, it has this like weird kind of like energy around it that's really interesting and i thought it was just so fascinating how this was a film that like had this kind of film had never been made before and i think right. that was really cool to see how that format looked I mean, maybe it had been made before, but whatever, like, the first, like, maybe true example that we've seen. And I thought that was fascinating in terms, especially about, like, the kind of film that was used and the way that it was created and the actors. And it did feel very authentic, which... Oh, it did. Which I was really fascinated about, about, like, how the actors were all improv actors. And it was super authentic. And I really really enjoyed it, but I like found footage. And I know that found footage can feel like a slog to some people, because it's, like, a lot of the time at the beginning is, like, establishing the family rapport, and it takes a while for it to ramp up. I actually wanted to to ask that, though. So, because with Terry saying that he's not a found footage fan, what is it about found footage that you don't like? Um... (laughs) I mean, like, no, because uh, I mean, I, I've, I've had this conversation recently specifically about found footage because it's like, you know, okay, you don't like the tropes of found footage. Like, it would be like someone saying, oh, I don't like slashers because there's too much sex and boobs and it's too much girls getting yeah. killed. For found footage, it's like, oh, it's too, I can't get over like the, the faux realism of it or the why are they still filming aspect or yeah, like, like you said, Mary Beth, yeah, there, there's a, there's a slow beginning where you've, it's just like, you know, normal home movies before something even scary kicks in and sometimes it's not even something scary yeah Yeah. i mean i i guess for me it's just um i I think it's the tropes of that are like part of it part and parcel of it like why like you mentioned why is the guy still filming although in this case it kind of made sense to me yeah like to piggyback i i I don't know it's 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 mostly the tropes and i just feel like a lot of times i mean there's there are some really good ones um i really i still really like blair witch but i feel that there's so many knockoffs off it of it that like it just it really 
the tropes okay. are okay. just like Wait. all I can see. On that note, then, okay, then how do you feel about the slashers that came in the wake of Scream? Because they're also just aping something that's perfect and not doing it as well. But sorry, I'm not doing this to be like, oh, you're wrong. I'm just I was like, like I, oh, I, we're gonna fight today. No, no, no. no. <laughs> I, mean, I, 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 I don't. I don't have a huge love for like. I, I, I'm bringing up slashers because that's like my best comparison of like the tropiest of like, and something yeah. I care about. Like, mm-hmm. I love slasher movies. If found footage I can take or leave. I'm aware of the tropes. They don't bother me. But yeah, I mean, if you give me anything in like a found footage movie, like mm, I, I mean, I'll probably pick something else. But like, I've seen some very effective found footage movies, and so it's. I, I'm just curious, you know. I mean, I, I get what you're yeah. saying. I just like honestly, I think it, it, it. A lot of it, I think, boils down to the acting. Like it doesn't. It pulls me out of it because a lot of times it is a lot of improv. It is very mm-hmm. a lot of times naturalistic, or it is a bunch of like. I, I and I. I I feel this way about Blair Witch too. Is that there's just a lot of people just running around in the woods, just filming things. So like I, you know, that that kind of like pulls me out of it. Even though in some ways it is it is realistic, and that is exactly what someone would would do. It just I find myself sitting there counting the flaws as opposed to appreciating right. the journey. That's the thing with found footage though too, is because because. Typically, in a found footage film, you're dealing with inexperienced people. I mean, Blair Witch, yeah, it's like student filmmakers. But something like Paranormal Activity, you know, it's just an average Joe. And for me, that's enough of a blanket for me to be like, oh, the acting's bad because these people are just not – they're not acting. Like, they're quote-unquote real people. Mm-hmm. But then it's like, okay, but then, like, am I making an excuse for, like, the genre as a whole? Because just because it's supposed to be quote-unquote realistic doesn't give – like an excuse for it to be shoddily made. So there's like a line there that I think makes it really hard to walk sometimes. Yeah, I, I, I agree. <laughs> I know Mary Beth is not, but, um, <laughs> are you a big found footage fan? I love oh my found God. footage. Found um, footage and vampires. Found footage and vampires. <laughs> it's my shit. I'm very passionate about found footage films. Mm-hmm. I've always liked them, but I think recently, I think in quarantine, I have, turn to them as like a comfort movie mm-hmm. and I have been just mainlining found footage movies and I've loved it because I think for me I love the creativity that you can see in found footage and the yep. way that found footage is able to adapt to our technological advances faster than any other genre and so like and I'm when I say like found footage I'm also grouping in like unfriended and I know that's not really found footage but no I I, 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 I would I mean th- that, that computer screen horror yeah I'm, like second yeah. screen horror I kind of lump it in together and I think there's like some parsing out to be done there but basically I think that this genre does such a good job of at least taking risks with tech like mm-hmm. Jerusalem it's a good, it's, it's okay, oh, yeah. but mm-hmm. they use, and they use Google Glass, and I'm like, you know, Google Glass didn't really happen, but I think it's fascinating when these films just try to take risks with these kinds of technological advances, and like, there's short foot, short films coming out on Twitter in the, the Zoom format, and like, I think, I don't know, I just think found footage gives people so much freedom, and I think there's less pressure. They're, okay, I think there's less pressure to create something that's like beautiful and clean, and I think it gives you more freedom to really play yeah. around and to create something weird. And if it's not successful, you still tried something really weird, and that's what I like about it. Because even if I'm not sold on it, I appreciate that someone took the time to try to like make something strange and like different and creative. I'm gonna feel Terry roll my eyes at me because I, I like to recommend the same movies a lot. But have you seen a 2014 film called The Den? Um, I have not, but I've I've I've. I've heard that recommended. I watched The Den because I think you and Joe were talking about it. 
And yes. I watched The Den. It's so fucking good. I that's, loved The Den. That's one of those movies where like someone's like, oh, what's a really scary movie that's come out in the past 10 years? And I'm like, and oh, like The Den. The Den. I mean, <laughs> it's Unfriended Dark Web, like, rips it off almost completely. Yeah. Um, and I like Dark Web, but oh, like... Oh, I love Dark Web. <laughs> uh, okay, but Terry... Then watch The Den. It's you on Hulu. It's, Den. it's on Hulu. And I'm telling right. you right now... It, it is terrifying and really I wasn't ready for it. Good. I was no. not ready. Like, <laughs> no one talks right. about it. Like no, my uh, goal in life is to like tell people watch the den. And if I hear someone, if I hear someone talk about dark web, I'm like, oh, that's great. It's a really good movie. But by the way, watch the watch den because it came out first. <laughs> <laughs> well, and I just think there's such cool things happening and it allows filmmakers to play around with tropes. And mm-hmm. I, again, I understand that like, Studios have gotten their hands on the on the format, and it, I think that completely takes away from what found footage is about right. in my head. Because found footage to me is like almost like a revolutionary style of filmmaking where you can say "fuck the rules," I'm going to make my own shit, and I'm not going to try to conform to like narrative structures or like the kind of making it feel like you're immersed in the world. Like I'm just going to fuck around and make something weird and glitchy and kind of broken looking, and I think that's cool. I think that's amazing, and I am like all about kind of like holding up a middle finger to like the preconceived notions of what cinema is supposed to look like. Oh yeah. So, that god damn it! <laughs> all I ever talk about is fun footage. Now I am a fucking walking parody of myself. It's, you know what? But you talk about what you're passionate about and what you love, and no, but I mean, I think that that's something where it's like okay. Is that it's good that you're doing that because it's not something that I think a lot of people would think to do specifically with that subgenre, even though, yeah, I mean, there's tracing back like two or three decades, like there's so much to mine, like so much research to mine. So much to mine. And there's Mm -hmm. not a lot written about it because I think people write it off, but the history of farm footage is so cool. (laughs) To bring it back to the McPherson (laughs) tape, um, (laughs) I. I, the thing that surprised me the most about it was all the the tropes that you, you would eventually call tropes of found mm-hmm. footage are in it. Like that, you know, yeah. there's a point where uh, there he's like filming. They're they're at at a table and he's filming their food. It's almost like an Instagram picture of, on VHS tape of like their food or like someone's like, put that goddamn camera down and why are you still using that camera? Like, there's a lot of like things in there that. There's like a lot of darkness where they're out in the woods and all you have is like flashlights. So there's, there's a lot of things that it was, I thought it was, I thought it was very inventive, particularly for the time. I, yeah, it was the shot on, and the shot of video gave it an authentic, authenticity that mm-hmm. is sometimes lacking for me in found photo films that I, I dislike mm-hmm. because of that. I just, it was so dark that like I had a hard time seeing things. So I was spending more time like trying to like, parcel out what was happening if I was enjoying the story. I think that might have been the downfall mm-hmm. for me. Yeah. Okay. I understand. Found footage is a divisive subgenre. And some people fucking hate it. And I get it. But like... I don't know. I, I think what makes it I, I, again, it's not my go-to. I think what makes me fascinated by film footage is that it's a very easy subgenre to fuck up and a very difficult mm-hmm. one to get right. But because when it is done right, it's normally really fucking good. Mm-hmm. It's why I won't give up on the subgenre and I'll keep trying them because I'm like, there's every now and then I'll get my den. You know, I'll find the one where I'm like, oh, this is this defines the subgenre for me. This is worth it. Have you seen As Above, So Below? I have. Um, okay. I liked like- it fine when I saw it in theaters. I really liked it a lot more when I rewatched it on Blu-ray. Okay. And have you seen Haunted Asylum, Gone Jam? I have not seen that. Okay. That's Terry and I's movie. That that's Terry and yep. I's movie that everyone needs to watch. It's on Amazon Prime. It's creepy as shit Korean found footage. Okay. Haunted um, Asylum. That's the name? Uh, it, it's it, Gone Jam. Go- Gone Jam. 
It's like the fourth time we've recommended it on this podcast. No, it's, no, I, trust me, I'm <laughs> and everyone, everyone's like probably like, we get it, but it's, it's really like, I've had people, I've recommended it to people and they've said like they had to turn off the movie for a second and like take a break. No, I mean, that, that's, I mean, and my husband's really into found footage. And so that's why I tend to watch a lot of these. Like that, that's oh, why I watch, cool. that's why I watch Hell House LLC, like, which I put off for so yeah. long because it was like, that sounds terrible. And then I watch it, and I was like, oh, this is, like, really scary. So. Yeah, it's fucking freaky. <laughs> yeah. And see, this is the thing that I like about talking with Mary Beth about found footage. Is that, like, <laughs> I'm realizing the the movies that, like, I do like. Like, I do – I Hell House, the first one, yeah. not the sequels. The first one okay, is wait, fantastic. I will say the first one's a better movie, but I will I, – I think the second one has more effective scares. Now, the oh, first one has God. amazing <laughs> scares, but there are parts of the second one where I was like, I didn't want to walk down my hallway after I watched it. <laughs> Oh, the acting in the second one was so terrible. So the third one's really bad, but yeah. (laughs) I thought the third one was better than the second one. Oh my god. Well, we're all entitled to our wrong opinions. Uh, Trace going for the blood. But like, I mean, you know, Gungium, I think is, is a fantastic movie, regardless of the way it's filmed. And it's also an inventive found footage film. I think Wreck is a great one. Like there are, there are ones that is the more I'm thinking about it that I really, oh, GM's really new too. Yeah, yeah, it came out in 2018. Yeah, I think. it's, okay. it's yeah. really good. It's, it's really, really good. fucking and good. And it's on Amazon. Awesome! Yay! Yeah. Oh, I'm gonna add that to my list. And your husband will probably really like it if he's a found footage person. Like he will dig it. It's very inventive. I, and I'm it's like, no, terrifying. I'm adding it. I'm so excited. <laughs> yeah, it's fucking scary, which is awesome. Um, but I guess talking about found footage, I want to talk about the found footage movie I watched this week. <laughs> um, what is that? In a in the, in a stranger's house, oh. it is it is a 2018 found footage horror movie. Um, it's one guy with a camera. It's the director, and he is how it's Irish too. And I really I um, oh. Aslan Clark, Ashlyn Clark. I'm so sorry. I hope I got her name right. She did um Devil's Doorway. So I am really into Irish horror, and so this is another Irish horror film. I feel like there's not a lot of it out there, but this one is really good. This guy goes to house sit it's, he like answers an ad to like house sit for this um this woman and strange shit starts happening and he's just like walking around with his camera trying to figure out what's going on and for some reason it just scared the absolute shit out of me i mean yeah? like i thought it was effective in the tension i also just like hate dark houses and the whole thing is a dark house and so it made me mm. super tense and I the scares that it has the ending's a little bit weird. I'm not really sure what to think of it, but the way the build up to it is really good. It's one of those found footage movies that I think is a little bit disappointing in terms of like people won't like how it ends. But I didn't have a huge problem with it. However, it was recommended to me on Twitter. It's on Amazon Prime. Amazon Prime has so many good like micro budget found footage movies, and it's again like a tight like 80 minutes. It's super short. And it's creepy, and it's got a lot of tension, and it's like one of those, also one of those found footage movies that like gets right into the scares too. It doesn't like, take, oh, I like that. it doesn't take like thirty minutes to get there. It's like fifteen-ish minutes, and like shit starts happening, which I love too. I'm like, hell yeah, let's just go for it. So, yeah, it's weird, and it's freaked me out, which I love because it's hard at this point, as you guys probably feel, it's like hard to scare me at this point. Yeah, yeah. So that's what I have been watching. Oh, and also. <laughs> I want to plug a show that I'm rewatching and watching the second season of Hellier on Amazon Prime. Have either of you watched this show? No. Why are you mentioning Never all these things that it. we don't know? But now I'm, I'm so <laughs> excited. I'm excited because I'm like, it's, I mean, I'm stressed and excited. Stressed because it's just going to add sorry. to my list. 
<laughs> but like excited because I'm like, oh, good, like think like good content that I'm gonna have Things to like to look it. forward to. So Hellier is so I'm also a big cryptid person, and so Hellier is it's nonfiction. It's a show about a crew of people who are investigating the Kentucky Goblins, which sounds very cheesy, and I understand that, but where they, it ends up turning into like a Mothman like high strangeness investigation. Oh. And it's been go. It's on the second the second season because it's such a ridiculous investigation. And I also love that kind of stuff. Like I know that again. Like Terry isn't really buy, like doesn't buy into that stuff, and neither does my boyfriend. He was watching it with me last night, and he's like, "What is this?" I'm like, "Shut the fuck up." <laughs> it's cryptic, and I love it. Um, we got into a little bit of an argument, like not an argument, but just like uh, talking about cryptids. And I was like, I feel like a crazy person right now trying to defend cryptozoology. Like, <laughs> but here I am. In my in the year 2020, defending cryptozoology, <laughs> but it's on Amazon Prime, and it's really I think it's really interesting, especially if you like cryptids or if you like kind of like ghost hunter shows. This one is really interesting and really it's strange. Like I wouldn't say it's scary, but if you are like understand the concept of high strangeness from like the Mothman prophecies, it's very much that, and it's yeah. very bizarre. But I really enjoy that, so that's what I'm watching. And it's right nonfiction. Now. Yeah, it's like. Hmm supposedly really happening so we'll i mean buy into that or not but it's Hmm. i think it's really good all right all right so trace what have you been watching um i don't remember if i said this already when we were on the air or before we were recording but um i i feel like with this like shelter in place stuff i've been regressing to like my fifth grade self so um (laughs) like I mean, I, I, I like Terry. I've been playing a lot of Animal Crossing. I've been going back and like watching and playing a lot of Pokemon, which I haven't Very done good. since I was eleven years old. Um, because we did so, we we did Scooby Doo and Zombie Island, and its twenty nineteen sequel, Return to Zombie Island, that came out last oh. year. Um, yeah, it was our first double feature. But I was like, oh, there's thirty one animated films between those. <laughs> so oh, shit. I signed up for a seven days uh, free trial of Boomerang on my Amazon Prime account. And like a lot of them are on there. So I've been watching a lot of these like Scooby-Doo movies. Um, Very good. For shows, I've been going through DC's Harley Quinn cartoon show, which is Ooh, amazing. Is it good? I've heard it's really so good, good things about it. It is an R-rated cartoon for Hell adults. yeah. And the first episode you watch it and you're kind of like okay like you're clearly saying fuck just because you can say fuck you're yep. being super gory just fuck it feels a bit gratuitous and it still is but it kind of finds a groove and a rhythm it's jarring because kaylee cuoco from the big bang theory voices harley quinn but she doesn't have the accent um oh which initially i was like that's stupid and but honestly it kind of helps you take this harley as her own and helps you mm. separate her from all the other iterations which i kind kind of like and her best friend's poison ivy who's voiced by lake bell and it's it's really 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 good they are killing a lot of major batman villains which is shocking to me (laughs) Um, i've only seen like the first three episodes but like i i agree the first episode is like okay you're r-rated i get it you're saying fuck like every other word i get it but like by episode two and three i was like okay i'm I'm into this so honestly i think the third one is when she gets her crew which consists of clayface and dr psycho and king shark and that's when it really starts to click for me um it really does become more about her relationship with poison ivy um and how like they're friends and women like you know have to support each other and not rival each other and like you know what the glass ceiling of criminals in gotham and it it does a lot of satirical meta humor that's really good and for the most part it doesn't come across as obnoxious which i appreciate because i think with meta it's really easy to do that um but yeah it's i mean I, i watched the entire first season in a day it's amazing um 
And then <laughs> this isn't going to make me sound very intelligent, but um, I binged <laughs> the entire Wrong Turn franchise this month. Oh wow! I followed you on Twitter doing that. <laughs> I so they're doing a reboot maybe next year, maybe twenty twenty one. We'll see or twenty twenty two. We'll see what happens with uh, the virus, but. I'd only seen the first two, and I remember liking the first one as a kid, and I remember really liking the second, the DT, the first, this, sorry, the second one, which was a, a DTV sequel. Um, but then I saw the third one, and I was like, "This is fucking terrible!" And so I just stopped. And I, I bought the box set. I mean, well, it's a it's a one through five box set. I bought it for like twelve dollars, and then I had to buy six on its own for another twelve dollars. So that was a waste of money. But it. <laughs> It was kind of fun. I mean, like, hey, hear me out. One, none of them are like good movies. And in case anyone doesn't know, it's you know, redneck inbred hillbillies attack people in West Virginia. Like that's <laughs> that's the plot that's of it. these movies. <laughs> um, it, it was really fun. Three is still atrocious. Four is a prequel <laughs> set in the snow, and it's not good. But it's, I mean, it's really fun. Five and six are bad. Um. But, yeah, I went through, like, a week and a half, like, binging all these movies and live-tweeting them for no one but myself. And Hell yeah. <laughs> and oh, I was, was, really... I was following along. <laughs> My husband was like, I don't really like that subgenre. You're on your own. And I was like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Bye. <laughs> it's it's funny that, that you bring this up because, like, I I also have the, the six set. Like, iTunes was doing, like, a, a sale on it, like, I don't know, a couple years ago. Because no one wants to buy it. Right. And so I bought all six of them because I've only ever seen the first one. Mm -hmm. And, um, I, I, my brother has my, um, movies anywhere account. So it like linked to that. And he's like, okay. He sent me a text like a few weeks ago. He's like, Terry, I don't understand why you don't have aliens on here, but you have all six of the wrong turn <laughs> movies. And I was like, okay, listen. <laughs> the, it, it's really funny. It's like, I mean, like the first one I think is actually legitimately good. It's the only like major studio film with a big budget. I mean, a decent budget. Um, it does yeah. have a problem in that like the kills are too far apart. Like there aren't enough kills yeah. and they're a bit too far apart. But and poor Eliza Dishku is like kind of wasted in the in the climax. Like she's strapped to a bed for ninety percent of it, while you know, right? Charisma vacuum Desmond Harrington does all the work, and that's that. But the reason the second one is so good is it's because it's Joe Lynch who directed like Mayhem, um, right? And that's yeah. that's the one that like keeps coming up as everyone's like, oh, Wrong Turn Two is really good, and that was. That was actually why I bought the set. <laughs> I think he wrote that like they had a fourth of the budget of the original, and it shows. But honestly, most of the blood is like practical i mean there is some cg there's a there's a tree debarker death which i thought it was a wood chipper but it is a tree debarker um oh. and oh, it's a lot shit. of cgi blood but like the opening kill of wrong turn 2 is uh, at the time american idol contestant kimberly caldwell fucking having her <laughs> lip bitten off with her like jaw exposed and then an axe like axe down the middle to where like she splits in half vertically and like her intestines spill on the floor hell and yeah it's, it's super fucking cool and it, it, the whole concept of the second one is like it's a reality show. So, but there's a humor to it. Like it's it's mm. very it very much feels like a Joe Lynch film. The third one is a prison bus movie, and none of the characters are likable. And the final girl, who was an actress that I love, named Janet Montgomery from this TV show called Salem that lasted for like three seasons. Mm. Oh yeah, she's really bad in it. Um, 
Then the fourth one's The Snow. The fifth one is one of the meanest films I've ever seen, but it takes place in like an abandoned town because the whole town's at a quote unquote mountain man music festival. And so <laughs> these kids like get in this town and it's abandoned. And the, but oh, but that's the gimmick of that one is like the mountain man, like they have masks of like inbred mountain men. And so there's people in the town like wearing these masks. And so you don't know if it's a real <laughs> person rich. or a mountain man, but it's real bad. And this sounds like something I want to do this weekend. It's great. <laughs> I'm like, they sound bad and I don't give a shit. I want to watch them all. <laughs> no, I mean, and the thing, I, 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 five isn't good and I wouldn't recommend it, but like there's a mean streak. Like, well, I, I won't tell you how it ends, but the, the, the ending of five, I was like kind of mortified. I was like, I don't know if I like it, oh, wow. but it's like so fucking mean to its final girl. It is. Oh shit. I just, I literally just tweeted today. Recommend me mean movies. I want mean fucking movies. Wrong turn five will do it for you. So the, okay. the, chronologically, it's four, five, one, two, three. Um, the sixth one is a reboot. So that's why I'm confused of why we're getting a new reboot. <laughs> oh. But huh. the sixth one is like, it takes place at this resort in West Virginia, question mark. And it's like a cult, like an inbred cult of normal people that also like inhabit, like how, like look over a village of the, the, the deformed people. And I don't know. It's really weird. I didn't really get it. There's a lot of sex in it. It's really bizarre. Oh, huh. <laughs> put that on the poster. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of sex in it. It's really, it's really weird. I didn't get it. There's a lot of sex in it. <laughs> I think yeah. it actually ends with a sex scene too. Like it, 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 it cuts to credits on a sex scene. <laughs> Huh, that's a bold okay. move. But yeah, I mean, again, I can't say I'd recommend doing it, but if you want some dumb, stupid fun, um, you could do worse. Cool. Awesome. <laughs> that sounds good. That sounds like the mood I'm in at this current juncture, like in yeah. life. So we've talked about what we've been watching recently, but what movie are we talking about today, Trace? We are discussing one of the greatest slasher films of all time, and that movie is Jaws 2. The legend continues. That's a shark. But no one sees it. And I know what a shark looks like because I've seen one up close. The legend continues, but no one believes it. And you better do something about this one. The legend continues. Because I don't intend to go through that hell again. The all-new Jaws 2. <laughs> See it before you go back in the water. Jaws 2. Okay. Yeah. For those of you who haven't seen Jaws 2, four years after a killer shark terrorized the beaches of Amity Island, a new resort hotel has its grand opening. As if the fish in the sea know when Amity is gearing up for a big launch, a new, more monstrous shark slashes through the waters, eating divers and water skiers and helicopters on its way for tasty <laughs> vengeance. That was the best part when you take that fucking helicopter. I literally yelled. Uh... I yelled. And Steve was like, what are you watching? I'm like, this shark is eating a helicopter. <laughs> I don't know if you have the Blu-ray, but there is a deleted scene where you actually get the underwater view, like when the the helicopter slips upside down, and you get to see the shark oh, really? like attack the, the 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 pilot in like underwater. That's pretty cool. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah, that I don't know why they cut it. <laughs> I don't know either. So Trace, how old were you when you first saw Jaws two? I was trying to figure this out today because I was texting my dad. I was like, okay, I saw this at my grandma's house when I was like between the ages of five and seven. I don't know how okay. old I was, but. The reason I picked this, um, because I've actually seen Jaws 2 more than Jaws, uh, and it was the first Jaws movie I ever saw, and it's the first oh, time that I, I remember being, like, legitimately scared, but it was it was one of those movies that aired on TBS or TNT, like, all the time in the oh. 90s and the early 2000s. Yeah. So my uncle, it was on, and, like, my uncle was like, oh, it's Jaws 2, and, like, my five to seven-year-old self is like, what's Jaws? And he makes me watch it. And... Uh, I, 
I, I was probably closer to five, but like I just remember never having seen. Like, I've never seen a creature feature. I didn't. I didn't understand what killer animal movies were. Um, I didn't have a, much of a concept of sharks, except that they were fish. Well, wait, fish? Yeah, they're fish. Um, <laughs> sorry, I'm thinking of that cunt in uh, the movie who's like, "This is a mammal. This killer whale's a mammal, Mister Brody." <laughs> Uh, that's not a fish that's a mammal (laughs) but yeah and so there's a couple things that really like i mean obviously the skier death is cool then you gotta wait like another hour for the shark to attack again um but the things that really struck me in this film the thing it really is um there's a moment in the film late in the scene late in the scene late in the film when the kids are allowed, and that's why I call it a slasher film, because the last 30 to 40 minutes of this movie are effectively a slasher film with a bunch of teenagers out in the water, and the shark just decides to start going to town on them. Um, and oh, yeah, we'll a, talk about that for sure. Yeah, and there's one death um, and involving a character named Marge, who maybe <laughs> has three lines in this film. But the manner in which she dies is that you just see the shark come up behind her, and it swallows her whole. Like, you actually see the, the, the shark's head, like, twitch, so like you see it gulp her. And for uh, like for me as a kid, like that was so traumatizing. I, there's not a lot now that scares me, but I've actually found that certain deaths, like ways people die, really, really affect me. Um, specifically, like if if there's like a decompression chamber scene, like with bodies bursting. Um, there's a scene in Cloverfield when Lizzie Kaplan dies by like popping, but like you see her in silhouette. Oh, yeah. Like that kind of stuff. It's like where it just, you can't even imagine that happening to you. It's so traumatizing to me. And so to imagine this girl getting swallowed whole, it, it was shocking. So much so to the point that like I had a nightmare. I don't even know how soon it was after where I saw it, but like I had a nightmare that I was swimming in the water and I got swallowed whole by a shark and I was like in the shark's stomach with, oh, geez. with the decomposing body of Marge and she was reaching for me, <laughs> no. telling me to help her get like to, asking for me to help her get out. And, oh no! And so it quite literally scarred me for life. <laughs> oh no! Wow! I can't imagine that. <laughs> I, it's I don't know. It, it, it's just that those wow. getting stabbed is one thing, like whatever. But like, oh, space deaths too. Like if someone like ejected into space and they freeze, like that was also like very Ugh. upsetting to me. So yeah, I when you asked me to come on this podcast, I was like, you know, there's two movies of, like, what I remember, like, freaking me out as a child, and one was Beetlejuice, but with Beetlejuice, it was, the, there was a doll that I found as a toddler, where you, when you pull its string, like, the head spins around, and I apparently had, like, oh. nightmares for years, <laughs> but it wasn't the movie that did that to me, whereas with right. Jaws 2, like, this movie, like, watching this movie really, really fucked me up, and besides Scooby-Doo, it probably, like, helped me get into horror. Wow. That's awesome. Cool. Mm-hmm. I that scene is is really effective and it was really effective even watching it as an adult um like I I you know you say that she doesn't have very many lines and it's true but she had been taking care of poor Sean the entire movie and to like see her <laughs> trying to save him and this little brat lives while she gets like eaten in a gulp sacrificing herself for him it's like it's a good scene. I, I, I the whole, so rewatching. I'm aware of the film's flaws. It's way too long. Um, the pacing yeah. between the ski death and like when it go when, when um Eddie yeah. dies it is because it, so much of it depends on oh Chief Bro. Everyone thinks Chief Brody's insane, and to the point where when they finally find Tina, when they finally find Tina, 
And, you know, you're supposed to feel bad because she's, like, in shock and do- giving a really good performance. But I literally wrote in my notes, I was like, if I was Brody, all I would be yelling right now was, I was fucking right. <laughs> right? I know. That's what I was thinking, too. I would be, like, rubbing in everyone's face, like, fuck you, fuck you, fuck you. <laughs> but that being said, like, I still have so much fun with this movie. And it's just, like, it, it, uh, I, had, I had a note, actually. But uh, anyway, it's, it's just real fun. And, like... It, yeah. It's worth getting past that that draggy second act to get to th- the slashery elements of the last act. Yes, I was actually so I was I had never seen this movie before. I am obsessed. What? It, yes. Okay. <laughs> yes. Well, you seen Jaws, right? I'm not yeah, going to gatekeep oh, you, but No. <laughs> Jaws was a movie actually like, I talked about when we first started this podcast. Oh, wait, that, no, wait, y'all have y'all have an episode yeah, on it. Duh. Yeah, so Jaws Jaws was a movie that like form like is a very formative film for me as a kid as an adult and i i think a lot of why i didn't see jaws 2 was because i was like there's no point there like to me i was like the sequels don't matter and so which is dumb i get that um (laughs) but like in my in my young brain i was like "Eh, i don't need to see jaws 2 but it's so good like better than i was could expect and at the end i was texting i was messaging terry just about like how harrowing the final act is with like all of the kids trapped on the tops of the boats and like screaming and praying Mm -hmm. to god to be saved i'm like oh my god this movie took a turn into something very upsetting very quickly well like you know and there's that character jackie who exists only to cry and whine the entire every time she's on screen (laughs) and people hate her they're like oh she's such a whiny bitch and i'm like okay but like she just watched this girl get swallowed a whole. I'm sorry. Like, nope. I, I would be freaking out a little bit, too. <laughs> exactly. I'm like, what did you expect? If that happened to me, I would have passed out. Like, I would have been screaming, too. Like, that seems like the normal reaction to me when you see someone get swallowed whole and eaten by a fucking shark. But your mindset, though, of like, oh, like, sequels aren't worth it. I mean, that was Steven Spielberg's mindset. I mean, you know, like yeah. everyone knows that, you know, in the first film, the shark would never fucking work. And so he was like... I'm not doing that again. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. And he also had said that, like, making a sequel to anything is just a cheap charny, carny trick. Yeah. At the time. But, but there was a point in the production, though, where, because the original director of this film was the guy who did Let's Scare Jessica to Death. And he was basically, like, there was a bunch of stuff, but, like, because, hey, Lorraine Gary, who plays Mrs. Brody, like, she is the, was the wife or is the wife of the head of Universal at the time. Yeah. Basically, he was like, oh, we should have Mrs. Brody go out on the boat with the chief and, like, help fight the shark. And everyone was like, no. <laughs> That's stupid. <laughs> um, and, and so, I, I was like, hoping I was hoping that was going to happen. I will admit well, you that. You can watch Jaws the Revenge. And I, you I have, so, yep. That's fucked up. I've seen Jaws the Revenge. <laughs> what? What? <laughs> I did not know this about you. <laughs> Lorraine Gary's what? star vehicle, Jaws the Revenge. What? Michael Caine vehicle. Because <laughs> it was on TV and my mom put it on and she's like, let's watch this movie. I'm like, all right. Oh, but see, though, wait, that movie's dumb, but the problem with that movie is it's not even fun because I think there's maybe three kills in the movie. And I mean, depending on which cut you watch, because Mario Van Peebles dies in one of, in like the TV cut, but he doesn't die in like the Blu ray cut. It's really weird. Um, that seems the opposite of what it usually, of maybe, how that maybe, usually maybe works. Op- I might have them switched up, switched up, but that, yeah, that movie's really bad. Um, but. Yeah, and so, like, basically they had this guy, oh, his name is John D. Hancock, and, but he, he also fired, like, another actress who was, had a relationship with someone at Universal, and then, and this is what I find fascinating, they didn't like the dark 
tone. Like they had started production. Yeah. He had done eighteen months of like development for this months. film, right? They f- start filming for about a month, and they were like, "Oh, it's too dark. It's too horror-y. We want it to be a bit more lighthearted and actiony." So they fired his ass. Yep. And then they hire yeah. um. Je- oh God, Genosoa. 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 Jinx. <laughs> yeah, I. There is a script online of the original. Uh, Hancock version. What? Um, yeah, like I, I tweeted out because I was watching this last night. I tweeted out that you know I would, I would kill to get this. One of my followers is like, uh, I read this a couple years ago. It's right here, and he sent it to me. And I had Googled, and I couldn't find it anywhere. All I could find was the the version that got filmed. And so there, I have a link to it, and we'll we can include it in the show notes, and I'll send it to you, Trace. But oh, no, um, I want it. But like, did you read? Have you read it yet? Did you have a chance to read I it? I read the the first like couple pages. I didn't have time to to mm. finish it. But yeah, it's like the the place is boarded up. Like it is it is the shark event in the first movie has like decimated Amity, and everything is boarded up. There is like no one going to Amity anymore. And there's this hotel. So part of it is a similar because there's this hotel that's coming in and they're hoping that that will breathe life back into, into Amity. But it has, at least in the beginning, a darker tone to it, even though some of the beats are very similar. Like they, they go down to the orca and everything. And so, it, so it is the opening scene, like the two divers still. Yeah. The okay. opening scene is still the two divers. And it's just like a lot of the, the, the kind of, scene and some of the dialogue with with because like the one of the opening scenes is them going to the the resort that's opening up and you know there's a conversation between ellen and and martin but like it's a little different Mm -hmm. um but yeah so like it there's definitely things that they that they salvaged from that script but like i i definitely can tell at least from the opening scenes that the he was going for a bit more realism i mean let's be honest that town probably wouldn't have been able to survive i no, shark. i was thinking the exact i'm like okay look yes you killed the shark but you also had like five people die on your island so right like i can't I, that's a pr nightmare so again also why i don't want to be in pr <laughs> <laughs> but i fair there, enough there is a certain like brazenness about this film like e- even with this opening scene with the divers it doesn't even attempt to try to match what the original did in its opening. Like it's kind of a forgettable, it's kind of a forgettable opening scene because it, yeah. Okay. You see the orca, you have John Williams, score swell again, but like, it's not really, oh, oh, there is a sound effect in this movie that keeps playing and it's people screaming underwater, but it's the same sound. It's like this high pitch. Yeah. (laughs) It happens with the helicopter pilot. It happens with these fucking scuba divers. It happens with the guy who has the embolism. Like, it's the same. It's like a, it's like a a Wilhelm scream, but for Jaws. I think it's actually uh, Hooper's scream in the in the Shark Tank at the end oh of the Oh my god, Jaws. it might be actually. Because <laughs> like I was like, why have I why have I heard this before? And then it just like it just hit me what you're talking. I think it might be Hooper. I don't. I haven't gone back no, to listen, but I I actually think you are correct. Like when he's in the cage and he's like freaking uh-huh, out. He's like, yeah. yeah, I think that's what it was. Yeah, but yeah, no. The the opening scene of this is definitely nowhere near as masterful as the original, and it kind of is where like I start to originally start to think that this is like a slasher because it's it's more ruthless and efficient. He just comes in and boom, two guys are gone, and he's gone like in a. <laughs> You know, it's like a cold open in a, in a, in a slasher film. It's not as inventive as a lot of slashers, but you know, 
Well, but it's also, I mean, we're talking 1978 here. So we've had Psycho, we've had Peeping Tom, we've had Black Christmas. This comes out like months before Halloween. Months before Halloween. And has all the tropes. Like, Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, all of the tropes that are established in in slashers, you can trace back to this this movie. I mean, even the tropes of the kids, you know, you have like the, the nerds, you have the cinematically overweight dude that if this was a harder rated movie, he'd be smoking dope. Mm-hmm. You know, you have like the, the blonde uh, Miss Amity. You have like well, all of these people. And I love the, uh, <laughs> it's because, you know, we don't, we don't have any sex in this movie, so we don't have like a, vir- a virginal girl who like makes it out. But the girl who prays, she like the yep. shark swims to her and like just misses her. And I'm like, oh, I see yep. what you're doing, movie. Like she was praying. So all she does is she gets scraped by the shark scales <laughs> <laughs> or whatever sharks have. Scales. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I respect that to a point because, you know, it's like, I mean, it's even when we get to the skiing scene and it's like, okay, the first one, because the goddamn shark wouldn't work, you know, they Spielberg couldn't show it so much. So he, he yeah. that's why they have the music. And okay, this film is not better than the first movie, but I will argue you this. I think John Williams's additions to the score in this movie are actually as also it makes this this score as a whole for Jaws 2, I think it's better than the score for Jaws. Oh, interesting. I did really like the score. I liked the additions it made, for mm-hmm. sure. I was thinking that today when I was watching it. There's a part um, when, when Mike is in the water and the shark's coming to him and like they're trying to pull him up, and there's this like trumpet beat where it's like, do 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 And you have like the, the camera on the shark's dorsal fin as it's like going towards him. And it's really, I mean, granted, if you turn the brightness up, you can see the hydraulics in the shark's mouth, which is not great. But... It, it's really it, it's just really that. suspenseful like there are musical beats like that that happen a lot in the suspenseful scenes even the uh the skiing scene which is really cool which i i, I just love it i love it it's it, it obviously yes the simple but uh but uh it's really mm-hmm. effective but it it adds more and I, I can see the argument for why someone will be like it doesn't need more but i really like the additions yeah I actually really like the skiing scene and um I took a note this time about how I really like the the camera of it chasing after the the board where it's like you still get the killer POV shot from the shark's perspective but it's like following in the in the wake of the board. I really think that's a a really cool cinematic flair to it. I I do think there's a lot of that in this movie that is actually really well done even though like I know that <laughs> Chief Brody Rob Roy Scheider Sure Roy Scheider is definitely not on board for this movie. And there's like a line in the very beginning of the movie where like Ellen tells him like, you know, Oh, it's just pretend you've been here for, for the entire time. And he's like, well, how do I do that? And she said, just look bored. And that's kind of how I feel his performances in this movie. A lot of time to be perfectly honest, he just looks like he does not want to be there. So, I mean, I, I know you probably have this note too, cause I ripped it from the Wikipedia, but so he's only in this movie as a contractual obligation and it's not yeah. because it came with jaws so he basically was in the deer hunter and he quit two weeks before the start of filming because of creative differences so universal he was contracted with three pictures with universal that being i think the second or third one he was supposed to do um they said that the universal said oh we'll forgive you you don't have to meet your contract if you star in jaws 2 <laughs> And he did not want to do that, but he was like, fine, I'll fucking do it. And to the point that we're, I mean, I read like he got in like a fist fight with the director at some point. Yeah, he got in a fist fight. He yelled in front of the extras because he's like, he said that the director's spending more time with the extras than, than the staff. Like, he, uh, was not a happy man on this movie. 
I think he gets better towards the. I mean, when there's agency with the shark. Um, I, yeah. Honestly, honestly, you, the way you fix this movie is you do this: you cut 15 minutes out of the second act, and you add one more shark attack in that second act. Yeah. Like absolutely, I think it fixes it so much. I do wish that there was more stuff with the mayor, or even a catharsis with like, like once people know there's a shark. <laughs> Like, that asshole that's in the board meeting and they vote him down, like, to fire him. And it's like, like, actually, I even like that moment when he gets fired and he's talking to his wife. It's like one of the quieter moments where he's like, I've never been fired before. Like, I don't know what yeah. to do. It it doesn't, like, those are moments that make that what make the original Jaws so well. And we don't get enough of that in this one. But when we have them, they work very well. Yeah, I was going to say, so, I mean, I, when I was watching this movie, all I could, I could, all I could really think about was how this is a really interesting portrayal of PTSD, because Mm -hmm. this poor guy has gone through absolute hell and back, and then Amity seems to have just forgotten about the absolute, like, massacre that shark brought to the island, and he's, like, terrified, and, you know, he, the scene, the scene I especially was drawn to was actually when he was putting the sodium chloride in the bullets and sealing them with candle wax. Oh, yeah. Like, it was- And hiding it? Yeah, like, weirdly kind of, like- slow, creepy, awesome moment that I really enjoyed. The part where he's talking to his wife and he's like, I've never been fired before. I can't cut it. And she goes like, you're just drunk. And it's just like tender. It's tender and really made me think about how this is a guy who, this is a character who was traumatized and now he has to like deal with those ramifications and also no one believing him. So when he starts shooting at the ocean, it's like a very real fear and a very real flashback. And then everyone's like, you're a fucking idiot and you're a nut and we're going to, and you're fired for it. And it's just like a fascinating way of looking at how trauma is not taken. Se- it was not taken seriously or is not taken seriously. I mean, I, I, the, the bluefish scene and actually wait okay remind me about bluefish because i want to come back to that but I'm, I'm sorry i do have to mention one thing though about the <laughs> the ski scene when that stupid bitch blows herself up um <laughs> a really funny and there's also your brazenness with what they're kind because of, again they were like well everyone knows what the shark looks like so we're just going to show it and then they do and then they give it that burn scar which is really fucking yeah, cool yeah i love that that was really fucking cool i'm like okay I, it's the slasher's mask yep but but then the dialogue that we get in this mo- in this movie afterwards is when, like, Brody's talking to Tina and Eddie and this old woman, and Tina's like, oh, there was a cloud of smoke, and the old woman goes, that was the explosion, and it's like, really, bitch? <laughs> <laughs> was it? <laughs> um, but no, the bluefish scene is... It's so cringy, but like in a good, it's supposed to be like when he's yeah. like looking at everyone saying, it's all right, go back in the water. And it's like, oh, girl, you no, that's not happening. <laughs> <laughs> and it's just like, it's just, and then when he's standing on top of the, like, the crow's nest looking out and everyone's like, what is that crazy guy doing? And the way he's being mocked was like so frustrating for me because I'm like, this happened not that long ago. Like there was a mm-hmm. fucking shark Four eating years. people off of your, yeah. like off of the coast, my dudes. Yeah. Like it's not that unbelievable. And that was frustrating. That's just me getting too invested in that part. But yeah, (laughs) it does kind of remind me though where we are now. Though I mean, like, oh my god, I know, Uh I know, because (laughs) it's all about money, right? Like all all they want to do is get the. It's just like it was in the first movie. Like they want to get the business. Like they rely on summer money. The shark only wants to come around in the summer for some reason. (laughs) Um, (laughs) But no, and so I'm in Texas, and they're reopening places, and it's like, okay, you care about money, but what about our safety? Yeah, they're right. reopening. So there's a big beach in Maryland where I live, Ocean City. They're reopening it this weekend, like mm-hmm. the boardwalk. And it's oh like, oh my god, the, this beach is like notorious for being kind of dirty and like a little bit grody. And like 
like in a regular summer and like i cannot imagine people going to this fucking beach for memorial day weekend and they're like oh but they'll practice social distancing i'm like are you joking on a boardwalk Mm. like no one is gonna do that and i was that definitely was thinking of that when i was watching this i'm like oh this looks exactly like how the beach is gonna look this weekend and how annoyed i'm going to be that like they were gonna have a spike because everyone is going to the fucking beach Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know i so i was thinking about how this movie scared you was as a kid trace. Mm-hmm. And when I saw this movie, it, I had the opposite reaction. Um, I saw, I mean, I saw them in order. Um, yep. and when I was a kid, Jaws terrified me. Uh, we've talked ad nauseum about me being swimming in a pool in Alaska indoors and being terrified that the shark was underneath me. Like that movie really did, uh, do a number on me, but Jaws two, what it, what it did is it, it started me down this path of like, if I couldn't finish um the original movie, I would go watch the sequel because Jaws 2 did not scare me. I thought it was, you saw the shark more and I thought it was cool. Mm-hmm. So like I loved Jaws 2 growing up and I, <laughs> I loved Jaws the Revenge even more because you saw the shark so much more. Wait, do you like Jaws so- 3D? No. <laughs> See, okay. I, um, I, I think I, I did as a kid, but like... I do want to say one thing because there is a death in. I mean, I I would I, I haven't seen Jaws three a lot. I still own it, but like there is a death in that movie where someone gets swallowed, but like you actually see them inside the shark as the shark is like yeah. opening and closing its mouth, and the death is of the, the the person you see is you just see blood like flush out of the gills, and it's again also very fucking terrifying. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, no, I I definitely can see that. Um, But like, I this movie like created like continued my fascination with sharks. I had these this memory of I would draw sharks as a kid, like Mm -hmm. just the breaching the water, like just the the like on the poster of 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 Jaws two, just like that shark coming out of the water, and and you know that was like my obsession as a kid. And I remember I have this memory of seeing on like. We never had cable, so I only the only time of type of TV I would watch was like the local channels, and there was there was this time where they were doing they were like promoting Walt Disney or no not Walt Disney Universal Studios, and they had like the shark ride for for Jaws oh, yeah. that is no longer there, and I just remember watching that because it, it kind of recreates the ending of of Jaws two. And I just remember watching that, the the kind of special on television and going, oh, my gosh, I can't wait to go <laughs> to Universal Studios to get on this stupid ride. Because, like, I it just I, Jaws 2 was, like, my my favorite until I saw Jaws 4 as a kid. But I, there's no accounting for taste. Um, <laughs> Hating on found footage, preferring Jaws 4 to Jaws 2. What's next, Harry? Dude, I was eight years old. No, I'm fucking with you. <laughs> I know you are. No, but I know, I, 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 I've ridden that Jaws ride twice, and I went, I went back to Universal Studios back in December, and to, like, and it was the first time I've been since they removed the Jaws ride, and it was very, very sad. I don't remember what they replaced it with, but there's a fast. It was part of the Harry Potter world, wasn't it? Maybe, oh, or, or the... there's also a Fast and the Furious ride. I mean, I, I'm gonna put, I'm gonna put a ride in quotes. I love those movies, but that ride is atrocious. Anyway, it's very sad to not have that ride anymore because it's very fun. They, I they agree. kind of make up for it with the Jurassic Park River ride, but it oh, it's not ride. as good. My favorite story about the Jaws ride is that when I went on it with my family, we went on vacation and it was like the summer before I started high school, and my little brother and I went on it, and my brother 
tried to get jump off of the boat because he was so scared of the shark. I'm like, buddy, you're going to jump in the water with the shark. And he's just like, I have to get off the boat. And I was like, oh, no. And it was like, <laughs> it was long enough ago that I think it's hysterical now. But like, he definitely is embarrassed about it. So if he's listening to this, I'm sorry, Jamie, to share your, your trauma <laughs> with everybody. But that was an amazing, amazing moment. <laughs> I didn't get to go on the ride until like, gosh, 2011, maybe. Oh, and so like, you were right like at the tail end of its existence. Yeah, like I, we finally, I went there with some friends for someone's birthday and we went to Disney World and we went to, to Universal Studios. And that was the first time I'd ever, I'd ever been to Universal Studios. Mm-hmm. And it, that ride is, I, I'm sad that it's gone because I, even though as cheesy as it is and it was cheesy, like I will still watch YouTube videos of people going on that ride mm-hmm. just because I have such a connection to this, this movie and that, and that kind of like, well, that ride. I think there's a there's like three encounters or maybe four with the shark, but there's one where you go in a shed and the shark like yes. that, oh, that, yes. that, that's the scariest part to me because you're enclosed, you know, like it's terrifying. Yeah. <laughs> and the lights go out and, mm-hmm. and yeah, it's I yeah, and he's like flashing the light and everything. Yeah, I love I love it. I just love it. So hey, we've talked about you know like the um like again how different the scares are in this film, but were there did you think that it was suspenseful in the scenes where it required where it was trying to be suspenseful outside of just like shocking you with the shark or the kills? Yes. Um. In fact, there are two scenes. One one scene that I I, I mean I've I don't know how many times I've seen this movie, mm-hmm. but I. I jumped when because I completely forgot about it when when Brody is driving in his Jeep and he stops it because he sees a piece of like the boat that's like floating in the water (laughs) and he goes out to it and he pulls it up and the body like pops up on it Mm -hmm. that I actually I jumped I will admit it I jumped this time and I I I've seen this movie I don't know how many times but that moment and then everything with the kids at the very end when like the boats Mm -hmm. get destroyed and they're like just hanging on for life and trying to create like a a safety zone of the boats that whole thing i and mike in the water that whole scene Mm -hmm. we kind of talked about it with with the the musical score of it but like that that scene just really even this time like i found myself getting kind of like worked up like tense on it I think for me, there's the water. So yeah, the water ski scene because the way the camera cuts, it's going from like the POV of, and there's a part where like you see the back, like the end of the ski, like right there on like the camera's viewpoint, and you're mm-hmm. like, oh, the shark's like right there. It's great. There's also the scene with the parasailer where they keep dumping in and out of, uh, dumping oh, in and out of yes. the water. Oh yes, and th- that that would have yeah. been your um. Oh my god, what's the kid's name? Um, Kintner, the Kintner boy from the first movie. Kintner that that, yeah. that would have been the equivalent of that, which is really cool. The I agree that your your charred corpse jump scare is really good. The one that got me on this watch that I had never really even paid attention to before was the scuba diver who gets the embolism when he's going through the yes. seaweed. Yeah. <laughs> and the, the shark just appears and you're just like, whoa! Yeah. That's why, like, that that was where I started, like, thinking this is this movie is a slasher because he has this ability to just appear out of nowhere. <laughs> like, he does it again with the helicopter. Where it's like, all of a sudden he's there and he's tearing the helicopter apart. Like, yeah. What do y'all think about Eddie and Tina's scene? Because that's actually one of my favorite set pieces in the film. I think it's I think it's great, and I think her performance in that is 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 just fantastic. Like th- that, and then the the follow up scene where she's trying to like say shark, and she just starts yeah. stuttering, and then all of a sudden, just like lends out this ear piercing scream. But yeah, that whole that whole setup with Eddie in the water, I think it's really, I think it's really good. It felt like the beginning of a slasher movie. 
Like, right? yeah. I'm getting like, I've got like bruises on my butt and my mom started to get suspicious. <laughs> Can you get a blanket? And like, it just felt like the most opening. that hard boat. <laughs> yeah. He's like, why do you need a blanket? I'm like, ew. <laughs> okay, but can we pause for a moment? Because, like, how is her mom seeing yeah, bruises I, on her butt? Also, was a question I had. And I was I, like, bathing think, suit? Maybe because she's wearing a bathing suit? I think it was the 70s. Yes. And so people just walked around naked in front of their families. That too. I mean, that's what hair says, right? <laughs> <laughs> there, there's, there's something. So it's because, like, you know, he gets knocked off. And, like, she sees the shark. And he is, like, a mile away. And it's just, like, she yeah. can see. like, And she's like, swim, swim. And it's like, bitch, he, he's not gonna beat that shark. <laughs> <laughs> but th- there's the part where, like, because, like, it's really cool where the shark, like, drags him to the boat. And he's, like, on a hydraulic yeah. thing. But he's holding on to it. And you just hear him going, Tina. <laughs> and then, like, the shark just pulls him down. And it's yep. it's so visceral and effective. And it's just, like, ooh. Well, even before that, when he slams into the boat, oh, yeah. like, there's a, there's that, there's a sound of him, of his, like, head hitting the boat. And, like, ooh, that's, that's brutal. That was brutal. <laughs> and i i just i love that that helicopter scene i just i i, I gotta keep coming back to it because it just it kills me yeah that whole sequence well the, the pacing i mean i clocked it so like the kids go off on their boats 64 minutes into this movie the shark doesn't attack them um until 83 minutes i mean this is after the tina and eddie stuff but like in, in so like the last like 20 minutes of the movie you have the mic almost getting eaten, the helicopter, Marge's death, the climax. Like the it is like boom, yeah. boom, 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 boom. And it's almost like like narrative whiplash after the second act, you know? But that yeah, that helicopter, I mean, okay, does it work for y'all or is it stupid? <laughs> I loved it. I thought it was badass. I was like, fuck yeah, I want more helicopters getting taken down by big ass animals. I just think I think I love like that it's it's ridiculous but I am obsessed with it like the fact that it, it fucking jumped out of the water and grabbed the helicopter I'm like fuck yes I love massive set pieces like this they're so good and dumb and I want more of them like I just think they're amazing mm. you know it was so weird watching this now post um a couple years ago I watched uh the last shark which is an Italian oh, yeah? jaws ripoff and there is a sequence in there where like they're trying to rescue people with the helicopter and this this guy he's like on the ladder and he falls into the water and he's like trying to climb up on the thing and falls into the, the water and then the shark bites him in half and then proceeds to tear to pull down the the entire helicopter that's like dangling above the water because he grabs onto the the ladder or whatever and just pulls it down and i so like after watching that it kind of it kind of makes me laugh a little bit but like i still think it's an, an effective I forgot how small the helicopter was. I know. Was. I was I was like, oh, that is a tiny little helicopter. I guess a shark could overtake. There is a really small. cool effect when it gets put underwater when the propellers fly off or like like one of the back yeah. propellers. If this is a Final Destination movie, like one of those kids would have been like, you know, propeller in the face. Um I but there's a sound effect where I don't know if it's a kid screaming because they're all screaming or if it's like the sound of the propeller flying through the air. It's like this really high pitched oh, yeah. scream. Mm. But it's a really good blending of like those kids. Like I mean, again, it's good sound design, I think. But uh, I I do wish one more of those kids would have died. Yeah, <laughs> more <laughs> death, know, think- more kid death. <laughs> well, that's why Sean's there, right? Like yeah. the only reason because they could have put Sean on the boat with Mike, like easily. <laughs> Right. That's what I thought this time. I was like, okay, you're taking this, but what What about the little 
kid. Why can't he go with yeah. them? Eh. <laughs> He's only there to add suspense for the for the conservative family members in 1978 who were like, oh, my God, that's why Sean's the only one that's always in trouble, in danger in this movie. <laughs> <laughs> but you know what i also appreciated in terms of like narrative development with with the the helicopter this time was the fact that you know they're coming to save the kids and in fact it, they put them in more danger because now their sails are destroyed mm-hmm. like it does it does the exact opposite it's like it's it's that kind of midpoint turn where it's like oh they're gonna be saved oh no it's worse the helicopter's gone and now their sails are gone and now they're gonna start like falling out into sea well, and that, that feels very like a slasher. Like, you know, you think a cop is going to come and help and you're so excited and then he gets immediately gets chopped in half. Yeah. Like, right. again, very slasher-esque when, like, the uh, incompetent adults show up and make a beacon of hope and then are immediately taken down by the monster. There was this Mad magazine, I think it was Mad, um, that would do, they would do, like, uh, spoofs in their in their magazine of of movies and so they had one for jaws called jod it was j-a-w <laughs> apostrophe d uh-huh. and they did one for for jod too and i i i have a hard time watching the end of this movie simply because in the comic brody is smacking the shit out of the the wire right to like attract the shark mm-hmm. and in the comic as he's as he's hitting it the kids are like man he must really believe in like corporal punishment or something like that because he is just like wailing on it as if he's like spanking it and so every time i watch this movie now i think he is spanking the shit out of that what did that wire ever do to him (laughs) so i I was always so confused because like hey we we get we get the checkoffs wire like the cable that comes up earlier 25 minutes in yeah and then we have the woman that says like that stupid bitch who's like oh yeah they're attracted to sound blah 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 so it's like okay obviously setting up the climax and but from what I gather, so Cable Junction is where all the power for Amity Island comes from, and all the cables extend from that island to Amity to feed it power? I think? Yeah, I think so too. <laughs> By the way, that island was made out of plexiglass and started like uh, floating away at one point. What? <laughs> yeah, it, like I, I noticed at this time that like it does not look like a real island, and it's because it was made out of like foam and plexiglass. And there was one point where like I guess they didn't tie it down at night, and it started just traveling in the ocean. <laughs> um, re- and then I, I mean, I guess there's really not much. I mean, again, Marge's death is you know obviously we've talked about it. It's fucking terrifying. Um, it really it's just the finale, like the death of the shark. I I do like like the face to face charging that we get even if it is it's derivative of the first movie but the way that we see the shark coming like it's um like we see it you know like right at the top of the water so there's it it feels more intimidating to me than it is in the original like with the original we get the shots of like the shark chewing on the um on the air tank the oxygen tank but this one like it's like we just see the entire scale of this shark as it's charging towards brody and i love it yeah yeah and it feels like and I feel like especially like thinking about how this talks about PTSD, it really is like you are literally confronting your demon and it feels like this very cathartic moment because it's like finally facing off, finally getting that validation and finally getting to say fuck you again. And it's like, it felt, it, it, it felt good to watch that ending part, I guess. <laughs> I agree. And the thing is, the only thing is, because in the first movie, he already has a fear of water because he had, I think, I think it was an incident with a shark or something or like a whatever, or I don't know, he, he had a fear of water. So the first movie kind of deals with that with the same thing. But this, this to me feels 
because we weren't there for his water incident in in his childhood in the first movie, but we know what he's facing against and what memories yeah. he has because we share them too. So that's why, like, yeah, it, on a character level, like, it actually works for me better in Jaws 2 than it does in Jaws. Yeah, I actually would agree with that, which is, like, feels weird because the ending of Jaws is amazing, but this yeah. one just feels, like, so much more satisfying in a way to me only especially because you have the context like you said of the first one and you feel like he's finally doing it and like it's face to face and it's like just him and a wire it's not a gun it's just like it's him it's all there is and he's right and like yeah in the in the first one you know he's sinking in the ship and yeah you're you're obviously gonna if he doesn't kill the shark he's gonna end up in the water but like in this one he is literally holding on to this this wire he is it is mano mano a shark just <laughs> You know, one of you is going to die. And yeah, I, I agree. I agree. I think it, it works really well, even though I don't think his, his line is that good. What does no. he say like open wide or something like that? Like, oh, I know. Yeah. I was like waiting for like, <laughs> smile now, you son of a bitch or something like that. I'm like, oh, that line is just so good at the end of the first one. No, I yeah. mean, and again, I, I am never going to tell someone Jaws 2 is better than Jaws. Now, if you say, if I'm if I'm bored one day and I want to put on a Jaws movie, I'm going to put on Jaws 2 over Jaws. Granted, I think Jaws is like two hours and 15 minutes, and it is paced much better than Jaws 2. Yes. Yeah. 100%. I forgot this was two hours long. Yeah. No, it, <laughs> I started watching it It's last a full week. two hours, but... And this is going to be controversial. Like, I, I get the brilliance of the third act of Jaws and the three men hanging out and trading stories and the USS Indianapolis speech and blah, 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 blah. I just prefer watching all these kids be terrorized over watching three straight white men bond over men things. Valid. <laughs> over men things. Valid. I, <laughs> I feel that, though. Now, if it was like a brunch with a bunch of gay guys talking about, you know, wine and grinder, then... <laughs> can you imagine the movie if that was the case? Oh, my I, God. I would watch the shit out of that. Actually, I, I would, too, actually. That's what we're missing, though, because, you know, we're having a bunch of queer horror movies coming out, queer slashers, especially because us gays love our slasher films. We need a queer creature feature. <laughs> oh, I, give me. Well, in fact, I j just posted... I don't know if it's going to be good, but I just posted because the, the producer of it reached out to me to ask if I would, I would do this, but there is a a LGBT shark thriller <gasps> that is coming. It's called From the Depths of My and Ass. <laughs> yeah. And How'd you guess? <laughs> um, like, it, it's from the producers of Sharknado. So, like, yeah, it's gonna be <laughs> it shit. was filmed in seven days with 30K. So, it's going <gasps> to be shit. Oh, it's going to be but, garbage, but maybe it's going to be beautiful garbage. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to watch yeah. it. <laughs> the, the, the like tagline they sent me is imagine if the producers of Sharknado hired David Lynch to make a shark thriller in seven days with 30,000. <gasps> Give it to me. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, sounds I, amazing. I'll, yeah, I'll, 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 I'll watch pretty much any form of creature feature. I've seen Mega Piranha with Tiffany. I, I can handle it. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so look for that. Queer horror fans, I'm sure that'll be a, a trip. <laughs> Wow. Oh, last uh, thing though, were y'all yes. living for Brody's like khaki cutoff shorts? Because yeah, oh my god, thank you. Yes. <laughs> oh my god, I was like, oh hi, I see you in your tight shorts. He's bending over them. so much in this movie, and there's so many ass shots. I know. Oh, I know. He's climbing on the wire too. <laughs> it's like just like the scene from, and you can like see his, his butt the entire time. Yeah, it's. It, it, um, it was remind. it was giving me Reno 911 vibes. Uh, <laughs> yes, ab absolutely. Absolutely. What and his, what's his name? Nubu I can't think of what his Nubu name Goofin. is. 
I'm thinking to myself, though, well, Roy Scheider, you may not have wanted to be there, but your ass wanted to be there. Mm. Oh, Sailor Daddy. I mean, come on. <laughs> I love it. So, it's, I know, I was sitting there like, hmm, this is odd. I really find him attractive in those shorts and his nice tan. Oh, boy. Hello. He was, he was, I, I like think when, he was looking really good in this and movie. And like he's sitting there, like, with his sodium chloride, his, like, shirt on butt and his sweaty, sweaty You've got, like, a gun chest. bullet fetish, I think. Yeah, uh, that's a new thing I've maybe realized about myself watching this. <laughs> <laughs> Go watch some, like, bullet-bloating videos, like, people, like, pouring the powder into the bullet. Make sure there's wax involved, of course. <laughs> <laughs> Discover something about myself today. <laughs> and that's what we live for here at Scar for Life, discovering our kings. Discovering our kings. <laughs> that's your new tagline for just your show in general. There you go. I mean, it's been... It's been that way for me on the show that's for sure opening up old wounds and discovering new kinks (laughs) (laughs) there we go there we go so do we want to wrap up and give this movie our final rating and final word yeah cool so terry how many swallowed marges out of five do you give (laughs) jaws to poor bitch she's still leaving she's still living in my brain like partially decomposed in the shark like asking me to help her to get out (laughs) <laughs> oh, oh my oh oh god <laughs> maybe <laughs> um you know uh, here's the thing like i i don't i don't think this movie is as good as jaws but i do think in some ways it's a lot more fun mm-hmm. um i would probably give it uh, i'll be honest probably four wow sort marches out of five i i and i think part of it might be the nostalgia factor mm-hmm. i just i have I have a lot of um, fond memories of this movie that really, I mean, I wanted to be a marine biologist when I was young and mm-hmm. it was because of Jaws and Jaws 2. And, you know, I just, I, I so I, I had, I can't look at it with um, clear eyes, to be honest, but, but I do think that's kind of like, like that, that comes with the territory of this show, right? Well, exactly. Absolutely. A lot of the ratings we give us are like very much informed by nostalgia, which I think is like, it's great. Like, Random question though. So have y'all had, I mean, so cause Terry, I heard your opinion on The Shining too, but like, has mm-hmm. there been a film that, that someone's brought on that y'all, like, that y'all, one of you have, have, were like, no, like, this has no nostalgia for me. I don't like it. Like, not into it. Like, actually, quite a few of them because I'm actually like quite a bit younger than Terry. So mm-hmm. I don't have this in nostalgia for a lot of the 80s horror movies. Mm. Um, so I'm not as attached to those. So there were a couple of movies like Hell Night I had never even seen or heard of. Oh, but yeah. that wasn't even like, it wasn't a very good movie. And then <laughs> mm. I didn't think it was good. <laughs> no, it's not. It's not. Yeah, I, I we haven't had, um, I don't think I've seen any movie where it's like, oh, I'm dreading watching this. Although I will say that I was kind of dreading watching The Shining just because yeah. I knew that my thoughts on it were the same as I, I, I heard. I heard. Um, you, you, I, you know. I respect you, but it makes me so sad. You can go watch the 1997 TV miniseries with Steven Weber and Rebecca De Mornay. I don't. I don't want to watch that either. De Mornay is actually. <laughs> I actually like De, De Mornay as Wendy, but but like sh- she is Stephen King's Wendy. Like she's not Kubrick's yeah, Wendy. No. But I mean, you know, Joe Major watch Ghoulie, so at least I gave you Jaws too. You know, in terms of of movies, I think you are you are winning out on that on that case. That is absolutely yeah. true. Sorry, no, Joe. My, but my husband Ghoulies was... loves Ghoulies Three. Ghoulies goes to college. Um, like Ghoulies. loves wow. it. And <laughs> me and my friends had a tiny terrors marathon, so we watched like the two Gremlins, the 
three of the four critters and three of the four ghoulies, and I had never seen any ghoulies before, and I was just like, this is the most garbage shit I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> It's yeah, amazing. It, it's amazing. It is pretty garbage. I haven't seen any of the other ones, but yeah. Uh, Two's kind of fun. Wow. It has a carnival setting, but otherwise, no. <laughs> sorry. I'm sorry. Mary Beth, what, what, is, <laughs> what, is, what Mary is your Beth, How many swallowed marches out of five do you give this movie? Um, I think I'm going to give it a three swallowed marches. Okay. I was my first time watching it, so I didn't have nostalgia for it, but I, yeah, I was pleasantly surprised going into it because mm-hmm. I have like held Jaws so close to my heart. And seeing this one, I went in very skeptical and I was very pleasantly surprised of what it is and how different it is from Jaws and how it really does diverge from what it initially, like from their first film and is a slasher, is a slasher. Like I think that mm-hmm. is such a fascinating, like, arc that it takes so i will give it mm-hmm. three swallowed marches out of five trace you have the final word so i think officially yes it is three like this movie is a three swallowed marge movie but i i, I am a four swallowed marge per, like person for this now granted would i just start it at the tina eddie scene probably so <laughs> like yeah. i mean like that's really that's when fair. the movie like kicks off right i there are nostalgia goggles on for me, but I do think it's a ton of fun. I d- th- this viewing, I really did feel the lag in pace more so than I have yeah. felt before. Um, mm-hmm. And that's why sometimes, sometimes things from your childhood should stay in your childhood as fond memories. <laughs> but you know what? <laughs> Coming off of Jaws, I think it's it's it is very good at what it tries to do. It is better than Jaws three and four, and. It's yeah. It, I'll echo your sentiment. It's a lot of fun, and I would recommend that anyone who hasn't seen it to at least give it a chance. Because while it won't match the heights of the first one, I it's nowhere like I would never call this a bad movie. No, not at all. It's definitely like God. It's just it's a it's much more fun. It's less like terrifying and more just like a fun slasher movie. So but with I, I would have liked to see that dark cut <laughs> that they were yeah, making. Yeah, that's true. I right. would have liked to see that. Well, thank you so much, Trace, for joining us to talk uh, about Jaws 2. Where can our listeners find you, and what do you have coming up you'd like to share? Yeah, um, so you can find Horror Queers, I mean, pretty much everywhere. Just type Horror Queers. It's like, it's at Horror Queers on Instagram and Twitter. It is just Horror Queers on Facebook. Um, we also have a Facebook group that our, the people who are members are really, really active on. Uh, for really me, active. it's um, Trace Thurman. Um, for Facebook, Instagram and Twitter is Traced thurman that's a d in the middle of my first and last name for my middle name and what's coming up i mean we just released an episode our double feature episode on scooby-doo on zombie island we have an episode on park chan wilkes the handmaiden coming out this week mm. and well that's the wait no no yep that is the end of may i think Maybe. Yeah, sure. Whatever. I don't want to, I don't want to give our June schedule away. But, um, but yeah, I mean, that's, um, I think that's really it. I mean, we have a whole back catalog of like 73 episodes. So go listen to some of that shit. Do it. Yeah. Um, so listeners, we, you've heard from us, but we want to hear from you. What has been your experience with Jaws 2? Send us an email at scarredforlifepodcast at gmail.com or reach out to us directly on Twitter. Uh, you can follow the podcast at scarredpodcast. And then you can follow me at MB McAndrews. And I'm at Gailey Dreadful. And of course, like I said, keep the conversation going by chatting with us on Twitter. And please don't forget to review, rate, and subscribe. We got a couple new reviews that really brightened my day. Yeah, they really – it was so sweet. And those mean so much to us and also just helps us in the, the iTunes store, all that good stuff. So thank you, for everyone, for writing those reviews. Thank you to everyone for listening. Thank you to Steve Barnold for our artwork. Thank you to Sean Keller for our music. 
Stay healthy out there, but most importantly, stay creepy. And until next time. powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. What is The Briefing Room? It's a behind-the-scenes look at how the criminal justice system works and the lives of the people within that system. If you love true crime, well, these are the real people who do the job every day of making sure justice is served. Hi, I'm Detective Dave. I'm Detective Dan. Together, we have decades of experience in local law enforcement, a profession that we think is often misunderstood. So we're going to explore how to do it right, and we won't shy away from when it's done wrong. These are stories you'll hear nowhere else. Unique, frank, and unvarnished. From the team that brought you Small Town Dicks, this is The Briefing Room. Episode 1 drops on August 30th. We'll meet you in The Briefing Room. Acast helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. Acast.com. <laughs>